Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Pretty Mental, Familia, welcome back. We love you. We miss you. We have an amazing episode today. What up, what up, what up, everybody? And hello, Valentina. (laughs) Hello, Paula. Today, we had such a nourishing conversation with Abigail Iku Iso. I oh, said we that. <laughs> so wrong. Abigail. Abigail times a million. We asked you me. how to say it, and it was just so beautiful. The way and you said it. We should have sound, we should have we should have recorded a little sound clip of that so I could insert it in that. Abigail spot. Abigail Equo Isu. Yes. Abigail She's yelling at the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was so brilliant. I really enjoyed speaking with her. She has been a psychotherapist for over 20 years and does a really beautiful job of balancing so many layers of the human experience, the human psyche, the human essence into the conversation. And she is has so much wisdom to share when it comes to working with difficult emotions like anger and the shadow self and how do we handle disagreements? How can we lean into difficult conversations? How can we meet each other in the middle? And how can we do all that through a lens of such grounded intention and compassion? It was such a beautiful conversation that I think is so important right now because as we've said, the, right now with the internet and with everything that's going on in the world, it's so easy for us to be polarized with each other and to demonize each other for having different opinions, to demonize each other for not showing up perfectly, for not handling our anger perfectly, for not handling our emotions perfectly. So she really brought in such a unique perspective into that dialogue that I think we can all benefit from. Everything that we talked about, you know, I think it's just so important to liberate ourselves, man, for us to really function in this society. And the way that we do that is by going back and figuring out our triggers and figuring, figuring out the part of ourselves that we've splintered off in order to survive and to feel safe and to feel protected. And it's just, you know, this journey of being human is just really learning to understand ourselves. And at what point did we begin to reject ourselves in order to survive and really working to mend that so that we can function as a whole unit and then go out into the world and make sure that we are not projecting any of our stuff onto the world. You know, I think that so much of the polarity that's happening right now in the world is our inability to really accept the different parts of ourselves and then the different parts of everyone else who's in front of us. So, right. And, and not knowing how to meet each other in the middle. Mm -hmm. So this conversation really touched in on all that stuff. I think you guys are going to like it. It's a juicy one. It's a juicy one. I wish I could add him at the very end of it. I wanted to ask her the, the biggest. I'm like, what is your I wanted to see what she had to say about depression. But I'm like, that's all. <laughs> that's a whole podcast. That's a whole nother one. Yeah. Maybe she'll come back on. Who knows what a treat it would be. Mm-hmm. All right. Pretty mental family. Take in a deep breath with us. in tune in we open up the space calling in our higher selves calling in all of the energies that walk with us in this lifetime calling all of the energies that are here to help us awaken to the most authentic deepest versions of ourselves
we open up this space, we open ourselves up for any messages that want to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, for the highest healing of our community, everyone they come in contact with, and for the highest healing of the collective. We ground ourselves down in truth and authenticity and love. We keep our hearts open, we keep our throats open, our minds open. The portal is now open. Mm. Abigail. Abigail. <laughs> Welcome to Pretty Mental. Hey, ladies. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the welcome. We are so yes. happy to have you. So excited. This is a long time coming. I've been wanting to have you on for a few months. Oh, cool. Here I am. Here you are. So Abigail, I met Abigail through Alchemy of Breath, which is a breathwork school that I'm in. And she's come in and led a few classes for us. And every single time that you speak, I am just like sucking it all up like juice because you have so much wisdom that for me is such a breath of fresh air because you incorporate more than just the human aspect of things. You go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and acknowledge the multi-dimensionality of who we are, which wow. I love. And yeah, I would love if you could introduce yourself to our community and just give us a little bit of background into who is Abigail and what brought you to, to where you are now. Wow, now that's probably a huge uh, story. So let me put it together as, uh, in a compactful way. So I'm a transpersonal integrative psychotherapist and um, I've been doing it for about 20 years plus. Um, and I kind of in that journey include breathwork and constellations and trauma work and inquiry, you know, um, so brings in the spiritual also. And it's a dance between the two. Um, yeah. So I, how what brought me to the work? Oh, my gosh, many things. I think I grew up with a mom who went in and out of anxieties and depressions. And I think it meant that I grew up really fast. Um, I think all, all of us as children want our parents to be healthy and happy. And so in that process, I think what I have found is, is that we're willing to forego a lot in order, in our little magical childlike ways, make everything better. And I think in that process, I learned and I just got really passionate about the human condition, about how we function, what makes us function, what makes us let go of our authentic essential selves. How do we get kind of mixed up in, I think I would call it kind of self-deceit, self-betrayal you know, where we actually end up rejecting ourselves and creating particular po per, like personas that allow us to fit in in the, in the world. So then I kind of traveled a little bit. I got involved with the modeling world, which is an incredible world of uh, flamboyant glamorous on the outside and lots of, I think, juice and worms on the, on the, in the underbelly. So I traveled that and I saw lots of kind of um, addictions, lots of changes in personalities and personas. And it just made me super interested and intrigued. So then I ended up doing a psychology degree when I was in my twenties, having done kind of A-levels in psychology and sociology. And then I continued and it's kind of a nonstop journey, you know? So years and years of really exploring and inquiring and discovering, and it just, Never ending, I'm going to say. Mm. Yeah, you, so I've squashed it in, but they're, they're, that's a little bit of a starter. That's perfect. And you you work a lot with shadow work. That's what really intrigued me, your ability to speak about the shadows, how you do. Can you define shadow work for us? Because I feel like I hear this term like wildfire lately, especially. It's probably always existed, but I don't know if because of social media or what, 
I feel like it's just I think it's just boomed, hasn't it? I think mm-hmm. uh, in the current kind of uh, climate with all the pandemics and all of the polarizations and kind of um, difficulties that we're all facing, I think many of us have been pushed into corners where we've had to stop and have a look at the parts of ourselves that we've denied, at the parts of ourselves that we really don't like about ourselves. And also parts that we just don't even believe belong to us. So I don't know if I have a definition of shadow work, but I would say that it is a way of exploring ourselves in a way that we can find pieces of ourselves that we have shut up, shut off from, fragmented from, disallowed. And which means that we function as half beings, that we pretend we're this kind of image that fits in. And actually that part of us that is a little bit more dark, elusive, not so, not so acceptable and is put in our closet, if you like, is where all the gems and the treasures are. So I think initially people are really kind of afraid to admit shame, humiliation, rage, anger, um, you know, the hatreds, the prejudices we have, all the dark taboo issues and subjects. But I think it's a necessity. If we really want to become whole human beings, we've got to kind of go down that avenue and reclaim the split off fragmented parts of us. And of course, there are always brilliant reasons why we've split them off. But the shadow work is really about reclaiming that that is difficult to digest about who we are as human beings, the dark and the light, you know? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I guess it's called shadows because we it, it kind of goes into the background like a shadow. Exactly. It's that th- thing that is no matter where you go is always following you and it's the thing that's kind of echoing behind us continuously and the heavier it is i.e the 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 less work we've done on it the more it kind of drags us back so it is that kind of heavy dark elusive um the dark aspects of who we are and and of course behind us because they've happened if you like how do we even begin to recognize what parts of ourselves we've put into the shadow? Great question, huh? I, well, one of the ways to begin, I feel, is to stop and look at the things that trigger us, at the things that activate us, at the things that we dislike, the things that we judge in others, the things we project on others. You know, often when we don't like something about ourselves or we haven't actually owned it, or even recognize that it belongs to us, we, we see it in others. And we, we dislike their rudeness. We dislike their anger. We dislike how cruel they can be. Now, it's not always literal that I see someone over there that has a particular habit or behavior that I dislike, that it's directly related to me. But it gives us a starting point of inquiry that we come back to ourselves and just check what happens to me when I see that person being rude. And often you can find that they're acting out something that you would love to be able to act out that you've just not looked at. So for example, those of us who've been brought up to be people pleasers, we're always saying yes and always being very helpful. And then you come come across a person who actually has the opposite and like they're not helping you at all. And a part of you just feels completely offended by that. And you judge it as them being really uncaring, insensitive human beings. But actually what they're maybe kind of reflecting is, is that they are putting themselves first. And actually they're able to say no, they have boundaries and they have a level of freedom that as a people pleaser, who you're always putting other people first, you don't have. So you can start by really looking at, hey, what activates me? What do I really despise in life? What do I really not want to look at? And start playing with how that lives in you or how that actually relates to you. Mm. And how, with anger, for example, can we talk about anger? 
Because this is something that, (laughs) okay, let's talk about anger. Let's talk anger. Let's talk anger generally, or men, women, anger, body types, anger. I think it's a fascinating subject. I do. I think it's a really fascinating subject. But go ahead, Valentina, tell me where you were going and let's play with it a little bit. Anger in, in the shadow, why we're so afraid of our own anger. It's a great question, huh? I think because we have been conditioned to believe that actually anger is us losing control. It's us kind of uh, really not being cool. It's us not having a handle on our emotions. Um, It's us kind of, uh, yeah, just losing it. And that's just not something that is appreciated in the Western world anyway, you know, and has many labels um, and many kinds of um i think projections in in society as soon as you see it's this is where i think it's fascinating it depends men and women have different ways of expressing anger right and in a woman i think it gets kind of uh suppressed and ridiculed and maybe she's lost it or she is hysterical and often rather than being angry i think it's learned culturally learned uh women cry you know, rather than expressing anger, it's easier to cry. I think sometimes it's because it's just held for so long and suppressed for so long that by the time it comes out, it's such a, an expressive kind of explosive uh, um, release that actually the, the woman ends up crying. You know, and I think in the patriarchal world, anger has just been squashed in so many ways. And we're made to feel wrong. We're made to feel not good girls, not uh, not good guys. Also, you know, you know, he's aggressive, he's violent. So it it it's it. I think it's tabooed. I mean, it's like poo-pooed. It's really kind of um, yeah, suppressed and seen as something that's just un- uncouth. And you talk about anger being sacred, but then there's also you know, the other side of anger, where like it just spills out sideways. And some people have trigger reactions where they're not afraid of their anger. In fact, they need to learn how to, how to harness that anger because it can really spill out and burn everyone around them. Yeah. When I have talked about anger being sacred, I think it's a, a process because you can go one of two ways with anger you can go completely expressive and explosive and then it's really narcissistic anger or you can collapse into anger and maybe go into that route where I was talking about where we we cry and we become victims you know but I feel you could look at anger in so many ways I mean people express it through disassociating through passive aggression through real um, bullying aggressive acts of expression but I think when I talk about it as being sacred and as being a process it's a little bit like imagine that imagine your legs gone to sleep Yeah. And so that's the suppression where actually life society hasn't supported us to be with our anger, which, by the way, I feel is a vital life force. It's our energy because in anger comes passion. In anger comes that drive for the truth, which is one of my big loves. Mm -hmm. But let's say we've suppressed it because we've all learned it's not the cool thing to do. People actually are afraid of us when we express or people actually don't want anything to do with us because they're angry people. So we learn to suppress. So when our leg goes dead and it's asleep, everything energetically is pulled back and it takes a lot of energy to keep that anger suppressed. But when that leg starts to wake up, has like pins and needles, right? It's a bit reckless. It kind of just goes all over the place. You can't quite control it. And that's when I think we come out and we completely express it. It's been suppressed for so long that it comes out as an explosion. Now that's the first and second stages. And usually we have this explosion, so we suppress it again, go back to sleep and we're in this loop. Now, the next stage after the second stage would be the alchemical stage, where we get an opportunity to really contain, process, digest, understand the anger. And actually, then we can see it as a gateway. It's a doorway through something. Because don't forget, you won't get angry if you don't care. 
So within anger, there's always love. But you, when you stop, I mean, when it's explosive like this, we miss the opportunity. But when we're angry, it's because we're invested in something that we care about. And maybe we've lost what the actual hidden desire underneath the anger is. So that's why processing or digesting or learning really to be with the, the, the anger, so we're containing it, there becomes an opportunity to be expanded by the anger, to actually open up into perhaps what its real desire is, which often is a love for the truth, which often is a passionate kind of expression of vital life force, being alive again, being allowed to be that expressive individual that has been suppressed over the years through conditioning. So, I mean, it's such a huge and juicy topic, but that's kind of where I see the, the sacredness in, the, the, in anger as a process. Because it can give us information on reclaiming the parts of us that are kind of hidden. Exactly. Exactly. So imagine when we are growing up, I think Valentina, you were suggesting this, you know, that we have certain drives and those drives are the need to survive and the need to be authentic. Yeah. And so the need to survive comes with the need for attachment, for warmth, for nourishment, for approval, for validation. And of course, the need for authenticity has been that young, spontaneous, passionate kids are, are really full of this amazing, innocent, pure spontaneity, you know, and the expression is beautiful. However, going through life, the first need we're going to give up is the need to be authentic mm -hmm. because the attachment need is so much more important. We need to survive. So slowly, slowly, there comes a time where we've shut off spontaneity. We've shut off that alive, you know, uh, electric energy to, in order to fit in, in order to be accepted. I mean, it's an intelligent mechanism. We've shut down that that is going to get us into trouble, that that is going to get us excluded, abandoned, rejected. So the, the, the crime on some level, which is inevitable, is, is we have to reject ourselves. So we reject that. So we start off by self-betraying, you know, we're rejecting ourselves. And so don't tell me that doesn't make us angry. On some level, we're pissed inside. And I would like to kind of, I mean, so sometimes I look at it as different, from different angles of, of trauma, depending on what might have happened. You know, trauma is anything that happened too fast, too soon, too much, in a time where we didn't have enough skills, or we didn't get something in the way that we needed it, love, attention, validation. And so when that happens, we're splitting off from our essential qualities from our real, true, unique voices and gifts. So that gets squashed. And then we travel through life and we find these ways of adapting. So we have these great personas and we, have, we develop an image that's acceptable. But all the time in the background, there's this, what I would say, pulsating, this energy that actually hasn't been allowed. And it can come through in bursts of anger because somewhere inside us, we know, we know that there is a, a deeper voice that is essential and, and unique and, and, and true and authentic. So, yeah, to reclaim those parts, that's the process. I feel that we're coming through waking up from the sleepy limb into what's going on and this reckless kind of fuzzy space of not really knowing and expressing and being a bit lost and chaotic into really harnessing that energy in order to really develop the, the intelligence to come back home and reclaim and, and rekindle, reconfigure ourselves so that actually the essential qualities can come through life journey but hey what what better way to live when we look to harness our anger are we we're essentially getting curious about it 
and understanding what it's telling us, what happens to it then? Is it just kind of expected to dissipate or can we express it a little bit, but then hold back? How do we keep it from becoming narcissistic anger? Mm. And I guess it's kind of a two-part question. It's like, how can we express it in a way that is effective or does it just melt away? Or when is it narcissistic anger? And, and what is that? Cause that's actually the first time I've heard those two words being put together in that way. Uh-huh. So, I mean, brilliant questions. I feel like it's one big curious inquiry whereby, you know, one situation will require one expression, another situation, another expression, if we are activated and our anger is there. And sometimes we have to be really selective. We have to really know that right now, if there's a guy in front of me who's holding a gun, it might not be the best idea to just explode right now with my anger, even though I'm really pissed. But I think narcissistic anger can be an anger which is just unleashed. It's like kind of uncontained. It is aggressive. It's bullying. It's manipulative. It's in order to get a particular outcome. Now, I don't feel like healthy anger is uh, used to get particular outcomes. I feel healthy anger is about being able to expand in your own courageous, bold expression of, of you, you know? So I'm not actually going into a place to control you, not going into a place to diminish you, to intimidate you. I'm actually in a place where I'm setting my boundary. I'm in a place where I'm expressing courageously what feels true for me in this moment. You know, and, it, and it's that discernment, I think, between understanding an anger that comes from a personality ego image that is upholding something, that is trying to um, cover something up. Sometimes we could see that as a false anger, something that is efforting in order to get a particular result. And then I think there is the, the more real expression of anger, which actually is uh, a beautiful way of stepping in to my boldness, you know, because it actually wakes up in me parts that I've uh, shut off and split off from. But when they start waking up, I start like feeling my, my, my body from the inside out. And I don't need to make you do anything. I don't need you to change who you are in order for me to have my expression. I have my expression and you may or may not agree with it. And then that takes us to the next step in the process. And I think when you really harness and it happens sometimes and will mess up other times, but when you get that glimpse and that experience of harnessing or just experiencing and expressing anger through your being, yeah, eventually it can dissipate. Eventually you just feel, for me, a sense of expansion. I haven't uh, roll-raided roll someone. I haven't rolled over them. I haven't kind of made you lose your sense of self in order for me to be seen. But actually, I've stood in something and I feel that boldness and courage in me and gives me a sense of expansion. And I kind of, and I just learn each and every time and go deeper into, hey, that's a really interesting mechanism in me. Let me learn more. Let me get curious. How else can I use this energy? You know, did that answer? A yes, it did. It did. And it makes me wonder about what you think about cancel culture and, and the role that anger is playing in that. Yeah, well, I think cancel culture, I mean, yeah, you could go many different angles with it. It's a, a little bit of a kind of a passive aggressive shut you up so I can actually uh, exclude you. You know, I think it's dangerous in how it excludes um, people's expressions, people's voices. And um, I think it's dangerous, you know, and um, sometimes 
it depends in which, which context, huh? Like actually, if it's an opinion that you just don't like, so you're just going to cancel it out and shut it out because actually it's too inconvenient because it means that you would have to open up or change course, then there's a little bit of cowardice in there. There's a little bit of, mm, what is it that I actually find so uncomfortable here that I need to exclude? You know, and we're all learning. Let's not kind of play around and think that we've arrived anywhere. But it's like kind of a great, this is why I feel inner work is so important. Because each and every, each and every one of us has a responsibility to stop and think, hey, what is it that's driving my movements, my expressions, my, my desires, you know? Is it a need to be seen and validated because actually I hurt inside? Or is it a need, a genuine need to vote for transformation, vote for the truth, discover and, and be open enough for change and growth and newness, which I think we need in the times we're living. We're living yeah. in really interesting times that require new approaches and really healthy attitudes and accountability and responsibility. And so canceling people out is like saying, well, my opinion is more important than yours. But that can't be that can't be right. Right. You know, right. in the, the family constellations world is some um, simple fact, which is everything has a place. Everything has a place. Who's to say that this is a stupid um, expression and this is an intelligent one? In everything, there has to be some gem, mm. you know, and, and becoming human again and, and, yeah, accepting of our human condition, I think is crucial. And cancel culture doesn't do that, doesn't allow that. Right. It's kind of like your opinion makes me uncomfortable, or you're not saying it in just the right, perfect way. So I need you to be quiet. Right. Because you're inconvenient for what I am trying to portray here. You know, you're, I mean, sometimes it could be something, you know, I know there's also people out there who have an agenda and want to kind of go out there and just be hurtful for the sake of being hurtful. But no one who's hurtful hasn't been hurt. You know, there's insecurities out there. And so that's why I feel the inner work, self-development is so important. Not in some kind of cliche way, but just really acknowledging what is, what's going through you, what's happening, what's your pain, what's your fear. And no, not everybody's going to go down that road. And many people get off on hurting the other or purposely provoking, you know, but can we get healthy enough to kind of be able to deal with the hurts, the pains, the insecurities in life step by step, especially in the world of social media? Huh? Mm -hmm. It's a big ask, you know, it is a big ask. However, everything's possible, right? Yeah. I, this makes me think of in the cancel culture on an even like grander scale when we think of people who have committed crimes in the world and we immediately see them as like the devil or like how can you even do such a thing and other them to such a degree that we take ourselves out of we take their humanity away yeah it's a difficult one huh because they are let's say those people in society who are on the periphery and I know this can be controversial you know working with so many different clients across my kind of uh, lifespan of being a psychotherapist I have come across all kinds of characters those that we call unsavory who have committed certain acts that other people are horrified by and I get it I get both sides you know the abusers the person the victims and so it's not me saying hey one is better than the other never but recognize that if we can commit something so awful as a as a murder for example something must have happened something in us that actually takes us to such uh, an edge and when I'm doing giving the right set of circuit the capacity the capability of committing something that in our right mind 
training you would never imagine we could do. And so through my, my journey working with people who have been in situations that have been horrendous and abusive and really, really dangerous and difficult, eventually I have always been able to see some glimmer of light, mm -hmm. something. Now that might have taken years of working with someone, but some glimmer of light in those persecutors or abusers. So that gives me the, the, the desire inside to to the best of my ability, be able to be available for people who are really seen as the down and outs, the horrendous, the untouchables because of the terrible crimes, let's say, that they may have committed. You know, because actually if we keep pushing them out and pushing them out, then we, we, we're just monsters more and more, people who feel incredibly unloved, unacceptable, unaccepted. Mm -hmm. you know? What is that? There's a brilliant project, isn't it? What's it called in the prisons in the States? Is it called the Freedom Project or the Compassion Project? Where a lady oh, I've heard of this. She goes in, this fantastic lady, forgive me for forgetting the name of the project, but she goes into the prisons and she starts to ask, step forward if you were abused and called names as a, as a little boy, as a little girl. They all step forward. Step forward if you were neglected as a little boy, as a little girl. They all step forward. You start to see mm. we create these human beings. We create people who feel rejected, abandoned on the outside, unworthy, undesirable. And when you're in that place, you've got nothing to lose, you know, uh, if you go out there and commit some terrible crime. And this is in, in no shape or form me uh, uh, condoning it. It's me saying... It is so sad to see us as human beings step into this cancel culture. This is like a, another layer of it, whereby the, the consequences are so drastic. I mean, now I think in social media, there's the bullying, the cyber bullying that goes on and the all the whole cancel culture and all the pieces that come with that. And then there's all of these suicides that happen and depressions. And it's really, you know, on the up and up. And so, yeah, we have a responsibility. How can we begin to, you know, Aubrey Marcus, he is, I mean, more than a podcaster, but I mainly listen to his podcast. So this is what I'm going to refer to him as. Um, he has something called United Polarity, where, you know, right now the world is so divided and his main thing, which I fully, fully agree with is stand on whatever side you want to stand on. But can we see the humanity in, in everyone and understand that everyone at the end of the day just wants the exact same thing? They want safety. They want to be seen, heard, loved, you know? And some people do. There's some people who maybe don't want that because they've gone so far also, yeah. you know, that actually they've just kind of given up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a great idea that that most of us do. And, and most of us therefore know that that's the healing, you know, the safety and the love. It's true. I think where I would go there is a little bit where we use this kind of notion where we got to be able to face each other or face that that is so uh, something that we oppose so something that i oppose and it's on the opposite side of my opinion and attitude to life i'll be able to face the opposite of that and you know when we do let's say kind of healing constellations. An example would be the Jews would have to face the Nazis. The Nazis would have to face the Jews. It's a little bit like persecutors have to face the victims because they need each other. It's a dynamic. You don't have victims without persecutor and you don't have persecutor without victims. So we could find, let's say in this polarized uh, setting that we find in ourselves, what are the opposites? And can we take aspects of the opposite and have them really face each other because you know it's really easy to make this side the enemy when I make them monstrous or when I make them an animal then I can do anything to them because I, I, I don't have any feelings for them but when you really look 
And you really see, hang on a second, it's not just a monster that's in front of me. It's a human being. They have children. They have animals. There's something in that other person that I can see that makes them human like me. Something can start to dissipate. Something can start to melt. And something can emerge from the, from the that connection, something that isn't on this side and isn't on this side, but comes through the two. I think this is so important right now because I, what's happening with the world is like at the same time that everyone is reclaiming their authenticity and their rights and their freedom and everything they believe in, you know, well, I guess, no, that's what's happening. So, and that's making a lot of people just really other other anyone who is standing in the way of my freedom, other any other anyone who's standing in the way of what I think is, you know, the right way to be. And we're at a place now and maybe, you know, we've been we've been at this place in all of history, but this is the time that I'm alive. So this is when it's most in my face that it's we really have to like see each other and allow each other to be while also you know, hoping and trusting that they are doing the same thing with us because it can't be a one-sided effort. So it's like, how do we even tackle this moving These forward? These are super, super questions. It's like, as you were talking, I was thinking, how do we support and resource each and every one of us? Because it's not just a case of looking at the other if you're already inside activated or you're already inside totally disconnected from your own feelings, for example. You know, so there are little steps, I think, which I feel have to start with knowing ourselves. So if I don't know me, then whatever it is that I'm projecting on you actually comes from the fact that I'm disconnected, fragmented, split off from real, some real source inside of me, my own being. And I'm functioning from a place of... Uh, of image, of persona, of ego, of super ego, whatever we call it. And therefore we're in falsehoods. So this I think is an incredible journey because none of this is easy, but we could make it difficult. We can make it easy. We have to start somewhere, you know, but it feels to me like it's like, how do we support each and every one of us to do the pieces of work that we need to do? And it feels like a life journey, you know, we've, we, we got lost somewhere, got lost with uh, the external. A lot of my work has to do with uh, the inside out, but also upside down. You know, it's like kind of we're all from the head. All of us are really thinking from the head. Now, the head plays a huge part. So it's not about excluding our thoughts, our rationale, our logic. But without the three intelligences, which is the intellectual, the heart, the actual kind of felt sense, and also the intuition, the belly, the gut, those alignments are hugely important. But we've lost the language of the, the body. We've lost the language of the sensations, of the felt sense. And we're all kind of, you know, society really supports the head, uh, but it has a place for sure. But without the others in alignment, then we get a lot of kind of distortions and fragmentations. So really it'd be brilliant to introduce it into schools. I mean, I think it's happening more and more. There's a lot that has kind of started opening up. Look at you guys with these podcasts. There's, you know, people are learning uh, the breath work, like uh, you you are involved with Valentina. And, and people are getting more and more interested in different levels of intelligence. The spirituals out there, lots of meditations, lots of retreats starting really coming back coming back to the inside out inner world yeah I think it's brilliant or important to point out how you said that not everybody's at some point in in their experience of being wounded there are people for whose priority shifts from being love and experiencing connection to not that. And exactly. I, I think that we're afraid to look at that sometimes because we don't know what to do with it. 
But we need I think to be what you're to... pointing out is the difference between connection and protection. Yes. Yeah. Where we really, in our healthy state, can stay connected. But that requires vulnerability. It requires uh, empathy. It requires the strength of vulnerability. Now, in our world, we see vulnerability as a weakness. And so we protect against it. So when we, going back, I feel, to childhood, have learned to reject ourselves and be what the other appreciates and validates, we're in a, we're in a state of protection. At that point, we're protecting our deepest gems and, and authentic essential qualities you know and we're doing an effort in we're doing a, 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 a performance and we're all great at it let's just admit that the times when we need we put on the performance that will get us what we think we need and it's at the expense always of the connection to the real and the deeper and it's difficult to talk about the real and the deeper without kind of cheapening it you know because when you get into those places sometimes putting those experiences of real true essential connection into words loses the the, the real delicacy of experience yeah. but I think that's where protection comes in because I think society is more used to flamboyant out there expression, rationalization, results, outcomes, success in an externalized way. Not and so it's more gross as opposed to the subtleties. The subtleties the of, of authentic connection. Yeah, the subtleties of our our, our true core nature. That's a little bit more quiet. That's a little bit more um, slower in rhythm, maybe. It's a little that needs a bit more space. Yeah. Well, I think that because we live in such a wounded world, there's so much wounding that happens here on earth. We all get good at protection on some level yeah. to be on this healing journey is to continuously look at that and question it and hold space for it. But we all have it. And I think you're pointing out something that Thomas Hubel talks about, where we're all born into scar tissue, generations and generations of trauma, way, way, way back. I'm always fascinated just to think, is there a humanity that ever existed where trauma wasn't a part of, of their experience or where wounding wasn't around? And I'm, I'm not sure there is one. You know, the golden age. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> right. And I think that's what makes dialogue so difficult for so many, probably the majority of people, because if I have aspects of me that have become really practiced at protection and you have aspects of you that have become really practiced at protection, then really it's not, it's often not a conversation, but a matter of how do I protect my opinion? How do I protect my stance? Not how do we see eye to eye or how do we find a middle ground and that's probably often when anger goes sideways because it's, it's called in, in the service of protecting my opinion yeah. because I'm afraid of you challenging it versus, I mean, how would you say we can move through that? If for example, the person in front of you is clearly protected, like maybe you are in a place where you can see the protectors at work inside of you you notice them, you hold space for them. Maybe you can kind of like get them to sit to the sides while you have this conversation, but you can see that the person in front of you is protected. How do you think is best to navigate those kinds of scenarios? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if it's a client, it's a very different uh, dynamic because they've come because they want to look at this stuff. Yeah. Now, if it's in everyday life, then we have to make a real um, intelligent decision because who are we to actually challenge their protections? That's their choice. You know, I think for me, it comes back down to, OK, how, how am I addressing those pretenses, protections in myself? And actually, what is my deep desire? It comes back to the longing. My inner longing is really uh, a desire for the truth, a real love for the truth, a desire for transformation, trust, and truth. 
that's, that's kind of my feet, my three T's, if you like. And so each experience that I find myself in, I can keep coming back and really ask myself, what actually in this moment is my deepest, truest desire? Do I want to crack this person? Do I need to change this person? Is this person in pain and they've asked for help? And in which case it's a different uh, relating. It's a different kind of connection that will happen. But it's a big tricky dance to think that we can interject or penetrate into someone else's worldview if they haven't asked for it. I really, I mean, I, I'm, I always can open the conversation and I can say, hey, you know, at times I really defend something till the bitter end because I really am identified with something. And I always find it really interesting just to see how would my life be if I let go of that identification? Comes back to some of the big questions of who are you without that particular career? Who would you be? in this moment, if actually you, you weren't stubborn? What would actually have to happen right now if you let go of that? Because there's always that wall, isn't there, that we're coming back to the anger a little bit, like we're always fighting against something. And I think the, the true journey is to be able to see, what am I fighting for? Now, what am I fighting against? Because if I fight against, I'm coming up against resistance. I'm coming up against this wall time and time again. But actually, what I'm truly fighting for, which might coming back to what wants to wake up in me, is behind the wall, under the wall. And it's like, what is that? Which then comes back to the longing, the yearning. What is it that drives me? My questions are often, what is my purpose here? What is meaningful for me right now? You know, what drives me? It's not the questions everybody has. You know, some people have, uh, you know, a, a way of just getting through life. And that's, that's good enough. And I think we have to be able to hold that. Of course, it's difficult when that way of getting through life hurts people. That's the world we live in, right? In that world of protection and disconnection. And for me, finding the way to move through these avenues with with care with compassion with love with empathy understanding that these people and i have to include myself in it sometimes i can be you know in my own protection it's like okay i, I was born into a world that was wounded okay what's my wound right now what's being really triggered and activated in me right now yeah. Something that I love that you just said that I think could be a really helpful kind of mantra or just a quick nugget to return to in those moments is, is the, the concept of truth. Like, what is my goal here? Is my goal to be right? Because being right and tapping into truth are not always the same thing. Oh, puppy. <laughs> she was behaving and now she's, it's time for her to come now. Different animal visitors throughout the podcast. Exactly. They Gotta love it. Huh? I know. Yeah. So being right and going deeper into truth are often not the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's where we, we tend to confound that because if we actually go for truth, if we can return to that intention instead, rather than let me express, get my opinion heard or let me be right. What if I just try to hold the intention towards truth? I would say the answer that comes out of that is often probably always somewhere in the middle. It's not just my version of it and it's not just your version of it. It's somewhere in the middle. I think it's fascinating, huh? Because... I think the whole deal is to discern what is truth, you know? And again, coming back to the ego, which is needing to be right, needing to prove, coming from a place of over or under compensation and, and being, you know? And, and that being part of us, that doesn't need to prove anything. That actually in its real truthful expression, gives a sense of relaxation gives a sense of spaciousness you know so it's like that discernment all the time from which place are we functioning 
do I need to prove myself? I might have to let her go in the garden. Do I need to prove myself right now? Or am I just experiencing something that feels for me really real? You know, and I can, I just get a sense, that deep sense of knowing, you know? There's often the place in me where I, I really play with wisdom. One second, because she's... Mm-hmm. Gotta love the animal, <laughs> the yes, animal intervention. Sorry about that. So well, that really plays with wisdom. And for me, what's wisdom? Wisdom is the embodiment of, of knowledge, of the embodiment of knowing, you know? So coming back to right and truth, how do I know in my own physicality, in a visceral sense, sense what feels true for me and that doesn't mean that I'm right I might not be right but something in me just knows that right now what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing I have to listen to and that might not be um, the majority vote Mm -hmm. you know often I have found that coming more and more to my truth makes me less and less part of the group yeah, that, you know that something yeah. falls away, and a sense of aloneness kind of transpires in a way that I can feel comfortable. There's a spaciousness, there's an emptiness, but in this moment, it just feels right, and it yeah. really highlights for me that I think each and every one of us has an inner genius. Each and every one of us has a particular expression that no one else has. And so learning to find that and really embody it is, is the journey I think many of us are on in terms of the self in a exploration world. But each one of us with a unique expression, I mean, imagine that. I think what you just said about it can be a really lonely journey is something that I've deeply related to with um I was with my dad yesterday and he was saying, he's like, you've fiercely protected yourself since you were a little girl. And sometimes it was hard for anyone to really come in to the other side because I've had for some reason, this deep need to protect myself from a very, very young age. But I recognized it was because a lot of my truths were not part of the truths that were the norm in society. And it made me very alieny. You know, it made me completely unrelatable to people of my same age group or to people in my society or in my culture. And something that I'm just now coming to terms with is, you know, I coming to terms with the fact that I actually don't need anyone to understand that truth anymore. Wow. As long as I mean that you protect yourself less fiercely. It means that I think the way that that me protecting myself manifested before was me hiding myself. And, and it wasn't the way that I braced through life was just kind of holding back, kind of hiding myself. And that got really, really painful. And I realized that I, I, had, I just have too much to say. And this has to come out. And not that I need anyone specifically to hear it. It just has to be said. And you know, because my mission, my mission here on earth is to help us all come back home to ourselves. And I feel like I've tapped into certain things that I want to say in case it resonates with anyone. And for a long time, I, I wouldn't say some of these things because, you know, they were just there. Not a lot of people thought how I did not. A, it was just very different. And now I am coming in to more of a place where I'm, I'm going to say them for me. Like, do I see me? And that before I could have thought that and I wouldn't really have grasped it. I'm not really entirely sure what has changed my constellations. I don't know. I'm getting close to my Saturn return or what, but, but it's kind of feeling that loneliness and then understanding that it's okay. I don't really need everyone to see me or anyone to, to validate those truths or I don't need to fit into certain groups. This is just the path that I, I came to take for one reason or another where, you know, it's a, yeah. it feels a little more isolating sometimes, you know, there's definitely more communities that 
are more on like the healing journey, more in the spirituality journey and, and it feels less alone, but at the end of the day, yeah. Sounds really beautiful to hear, you know, I can hear you really expressing you found your desire and actually you're being truthful with it. There's the authenticity coming back, you know, and it takes courage. It mm -hmm. takes this hot energy, you know, that, like is that anger, is that passion, whatever we want to call it. If it's suppressed, I think it can come out in distorted anger. But if we're in alignment with it, there's a passion and that passion is hot. And it really requires a backbone, embodiment, digestion, integration. And then it comes together and you can't really pinpoint, hey, when, what, where. It's a journey. And then you stand in something and you're like, yeah, I actually, this is my purpose. And I'm really willing to do whatever it takes to put my voice out there in the way that it uh, lands and resonates with some people. I remember when I first started kind of doing workshops and retreats, my supervisor and I, I used to say, you know, but like I've got loads to say, but who wants to hear it? And does it resonate and does it not resonate? And he said, just remember, a third of the group are going to just really dislike you. And then the third of the group are really going to be ambivalent. And then the other third are going to like you. And it's like you're always playing with that risk factor of where does it land? Where is it resonate? Where doesn't it? And do you let that where it doesn't resonate stop you? Mm -hmm. Or do you actually stand in your courage and go for it? We're so diverse. How can everybody like what you say? You know, how, how can everybody resonate with it? They're different flavors of human beings, you know? So wherever it does land and resonate, great. And when it, wherever it doesn't, there's other, there's other stuff out there. Yeah, I, go ahead. I, something I think it's really held us back as a humanity from evolving into being able to have these conversations of very diverse ideas is needing permission from each other to stand in our truth beautiful mm. huh when really the only permission we need is from ourselves <laughs> it takes such a minute to get to that though you know because yeah. i you kind of know these concepts they're like very ethereal for a long time until one day it just clicks i was watching this this um reel on instagram with kanye west and he was uh the king of accepting himself I don't know if you really, whatever, it's a whole conversation, but he said, he was like, you know, waiting for other people to approve of your ideas and accept you is like sitting in traffic because you, you can't, you can't go anywhere. Maybe you can, you know, people are going to honk at you. People are going to put their, their left blinker. They're going to get in your way. They're going to, at the end of the day, you just have to, it, it's on you. If not, you're going to be sitting in that traffic forever, waiting for people to let you go. And you know, I always feel that that comes right back down to the need for validation from the outside that starts right back in childhood. You know, people pleasers are actually parent pleasers, you know, and, and it, we just evolve and repeat the patterns and then project it onto life and society. And so we're waiting for mommy or daddy or grandma or a head teacher or culture to come along and say, hey, you have a place and your opinion counts. So why don't you get on that stage and let everyone know your inner thoughts and beliefs? It's, it's, it's the same as being a little girl or little boy and saying, please look, I've drawn a very beautiful picture. Do you love it, mommy? Do you love it, daddy? And it never happens. So just keep looking all the time. When they say that's a beautiful picture, then I'm allowed to draw the next one kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of intentionality and consciousness because especially now with social media and Yelp reviews and Google reviews and just everything is constantly getting reviewed and liked and how many likes and how many follows and how many reshares and how many stars. So yeah, we have to I'm be so able to in that world. <laughs> what? I'm not so good in that world. <laughs> it's for the best, Abigail. <laughs> it's for the best. Preserve but it your sounds mind. horrendous, doesn't it? Yeah, we have how to many find people a way. Like me today? Oh my God. Right. <laughs> how many people and my, like and my, my value? Truth? Right. And my value and my identification depends on whether I got 
I don't know, 10 or a million likes or follows. And then tomorrow I've got to do it all over again. And then yesterday I got a million and today I need 2 million. And oh my God, you send yourself insane. It's like, where do we focus our attention? Yeah. Where? Back in. Keep coming back in. Keep coming come back home. in. Come home. In every yeah. minute. Yeah, come home. I think that's the thing, huh? Like this whole journey that we're discussing is come back home mm-hmm. to the inner space. Don't think that's in how many likes that we get on social media. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And when you can finally make, I don't know, for me, uh-oh, did your oh, internet cut out? Well, that's perfect because we're literally right at the end and I was about to wrap up. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good timing. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. You're amazing. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And Takes can, one to know one, no? Ah. Uh, <laughs> where can everyone find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to see any of your offerings? Oh, she's back. Was I the only one that got kicked out? Yeah. Yes. That, that <laughs> was all so good. crazy. We were just wrapping up and I was asking where can we find if everyone if people want to know more about Abigail and your work and maybe any offerings or future offerings that you have, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can go to my website. My website is www.potentialcharisma.com. All about the potential, all about being charismatic. Potential Love charisma, that. one word. <laughs> Okay. Amazing. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can easily get in touch with that. And then the last thing that we haven't done this in a while, but we like to guess our, our, um, guests, Zodiac signs. Ooh. 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 Oh, okay. I get, I get, I get a gift. <laughs> mm. This one's a tricky one, which makes me believe that you must be the one that I can never guess. Why is it? Why is it tricky? I don't know. Maybe you've done so much work on yourself that you just like, it's not coming across very, let me see. That sounds good. I'll take that. Okay. I'm just going to guess Aquarius. Uh-huh. I'm going to just, oh, I'm going to say the first one that popped in my head just because it's the first one that popped in my head. Oh, I have another one actually after Paula says this one, because this one just popped in. Taurus mm-hmm. or Sagittarius. I feel like you're a Sagittarius now. My guys are Sagittarius, but I am a Libran. Wow. Oh, I sting it. I can't. Well, I really were ruled by Venus. Libra's ruled huh? by Venus. Right. Right. So you think and I think Taurus, Taurus is too, in a way. So maybe that's why. <laughs> I was not too far off oh. if we're going to look at it from that angle. That's a good one. Okay. That makes sense. That's why I said Taurus. And I, I guess Libra makes sense even more. But because I feel a very balanced energy from you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking grounded. So I guess. Well, like okay. Libra is exactly the balance. Exactly. Right? So I think now, that's what yeah. tripped me up. You just feel so, yeah, balanced. You feel very balanced. So it wasn't anything like any Leo energy or any Aries energy. We're Leo and Aries. And like anything. Oh, you can catch me on different days. I know. So <laughs> right. This is there just a part. Go. One part of right. it, Gail. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Brilliant. Thank you both. That's really brilliant. You're doing some great work. So I look forward to listening to more of your stuff also. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you both. We'll talk to you soon, Abigail. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.